0: Chapter 11, and just kind of let me help you reset the the stage. Remember, where we're at is at this place in the giving of the vision of Revelation where God is being merciful to John, just like he's being merciful to you and me. Sometimes when you turn on the news and you start watching what's going on in our world, the question that goes off, at least it goes off in my mind, is what in the world is going on? Right? And you see things going on that you ask, God, why would you let that happen? Well, God, God, what are you doing? Why wouldn't you stop that from happening? Right, And so what the revelation teaches us is that when you turn on your, your television nowadays, you, the weatherman never says, hey, we got all these fires burning up the west and God caused them. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard that. But it's actually true. And if you want proof, just read Genesis chapter 3. Prior to the fall of man, right, prior to Adam and Eve's sin, you didn't have fires burning up the earth. You didn't have volcanoes. You didn't have hurricanes and tornadoes. You didn't have any of that, right? And so what happens is post-sin, God, Genesis chapter 3, puts a curse on his own world. Now, why would he do that? Well, the the whole purpose of the curse is to do what? Is to break the stubborn will of men. Here's the reality. It's true about me. It's true about you. Is we want to be God. We really do. I want life to go my way. I want things to go my way. I want God to do things for me in the way I want. And sometimes our stubbornness just gets in the way of God. And God has a beautiful way of coming and saying, I'm going to break your stubbornness. When you look at all the stuff that goes on in our world today, what you see is you see hard things happening that men can't stop. And the message underneath it always is, God is saying, I will use all of it. I will use even the worst of stuff that's happening in this world to do what? To draw people to me. To draw people to me. Because should you die in this world, just know this. It'll pass that fast. What is important is that you are with me for eternity, right? And so all that's happening today is meant to bring people to a place where they cry out, God help me. I need you. I'm hungry for you because I don't have any answers. That's what God is trying to do. So John is experiencing this through this vision. And uh, he's got to go through it seven times. That's how the book of Revelation is organized. You have what I call seven cycles. Each cycle kind of tells you what's happening in history from the time Jesus Christ came into the world to the last trumpet blows. And you go through that seven times, and each time it gets worse. And what, what John is being shown is that during the time period that we're living in right now, things will continuously get worse here on earth until the trumpet blows, okay? So one more time, I'll just kind of uh, put this back in our minds. God's clock, your, your watch on your, on your you know, hand or if you use a, whatever you use to tell time, It's got numbers on it. It's 1 o'clock, it's 2 o'clock. God's watch does not. His has seasons on it. All right? In Greek, they use the word ionios. And uh, if you pay really close attention to what Jesus says, he'll use that word to indicate the period of time that we're in. So when you look at God's watch, you have a time. It's past. It's the Old Testament period. It's described for us historically through the Bible. So you have a time, and you have a time. That's the time that we're in right now. The season we're in right now, some people call it the New Testament period. I just call it the period that will lead up to the last period of time on earth, which is what? A half a time, right? So the way Jesus always says it is, there's a time and a time and a half a time. Why a half a time? Well, because it's during that half a time that things will get so bad on planet earth that God said, I, for the sake of, for the grace of, for the love of, those people who are my elect, I'm going to cut that time period in half. I'm not going to let it go as long because it will be hard to be alive on earth during that period of time. So we we kind of believe that, that as you look at Revelation, it would indicate that we are currently in that, that second period. We're, we're obviously not in the Old Testament period. We are in the New Testament period of time. Do not believe that that last period of time has begun yet. And yeah, what John is being shown is when that last period of time comes, there are some horrible things that happen. God right now has authority over everything that's happening, right? weather-related, murders-related. He has authority over all of it, okay? He has authority over the spiritual world. Demons are fallen angels. And they can only do what God has allowed them to do in our lives. And so what we've seen is John has shown uh, here that the reality that in that half a time, I'm going to unleash demons. And I'm going to give them powers they do not currently have. One of those is actually to kill men to kill people right? so you look at that you're like I don't want to be alive during that period of time well we may and we may not but we know this that God allows things to get worse on this earth leading up into the end because guess what happens men get worse on this earth leading up to the end so John is watching all this, and there comes these points in time as he's receiving the revelation where God is gracious and merciful to John, and he says, okay, let's take a timeout, John. Let's just take a time out. And he stops in the middle of a cycle. And that's kind of where we're at in chapter 11. We've been listening to these trumpets blow. Every time a trumpet blows, bad stuff happens, right? We've gone through six of them, and now God says, stop, <clears throat> time out, John. I want to show you something. I want to show you that during this period of time, I am completely in control. All right, so in chapter 10, we, it begins this pause, this stop, where God comes along and says, look, I'm going to send you this, this angel of this this strong angel, and this strong angel will remind you of what I'm doing. I am taking my people through the wilderness of this world into the promised land. I'm leading you to the next world right? That's what I'm doing. And John goes, okay, I get it. When things look like you're not even present, you are. And you've purposed what's happening, and you're taking us into this new land that will be a new earth that all of us will inhabit with you. That's right, John, okay? Now chapter 11. Chapter 11 comes, and last week we talked about uh, God showing John these two witnesses, and remember we went back into the Old Testament Zechariah chapter 4 that kind of helps us understand who are these two witnesses. And when you read the Old Testament Zechariah talks about the two witnesses as being those who have what the spirit of God in them that allow them to give testimony during this last period of time. And what what Jesus is saying is during that last period of time as bad as it gets those who believe in me will continue to and should continue to boldly testify to my name. Okay? That's, that gets me fired up because I, I think about the time frame that we're living in right now. And I go, okay, it's going to get worse. I get that. Uh, one thing the Christian church cannot afford ever to do is to kind of blend into the world and look like it. Then you'll be like, salt is lost, is saltiness. No good for anything Jesus says. but to be what? Thrown out. So he says, you guys, be salty. Be bold. Don't worry about what the world can do to you physically or what they can do to you legally. Don't worry about it. Be bold. Now, I'm not saying to us, go out and disobey the law. I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm saying within the confines of the law, go out and do what we can to boldly say we believe in Jesus Christ, and we know exactly what's going on. Don't stop your witness. This is something that scares me to death. that I look at the Christian church in our world today: is we're not bold. We're, we want to blend it. We don't want to look weird. I don't want to stand out. I don't want. No, Jesus, this is the time to go be really bold. When the world's coming against you, you come. To be what? For it. To bring the gospel message to people who absolutely need it. Okay. So the witnesses are at work during this period of time. Now, it kind of gets fun because you read this and the witnesses are unstoppable. Right? Um, It's kind of like, have you guys ever seen this movie before? I think it's a classic. I think it's one of the, it's really a good movie. Um, It's called The Terminator. Have you guys ever seen that film? (laughs) It's like a classic film. I gotta t- I'm going to tell this story, and, and you guys can spank me afterwards, but it's true. Um, you know, when my kids were little, I, you know you can rent those videos back in those days? I rented that movie Terminator. And um, so Ann was gone, and I got the kids, and Arnold's and <laughs> shooting these people. And, uh, you know, but, like my son, he'd be like, what happened to that man, Daddy? And I'd be, he got a bad owie. and um so ann comes home she's like what are you doing i'm like i'm watching the terminator with the kids i'm like is that bad (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i i got that lesson really really well but when you read this if you look at at chapter 11 and and you you see what they're doing go to verse 5 it says if anyone tried to harm the two witnesses, all right, this is during that last time, fire came from their mouth and consumes their foes, right? So you read that and you kind of got Arnold in your mind. He's like, fire coming out, people dying. And uh, if you've ever watched the movie, you know, Left, Left Behind, you know, they try to portray this, like, which would be awesome to have that power. I mean, even for a day, I would take that power for like one day. You know, i would be like, you know, jet flies over, God would be like, get bigs out of here. This is a bad, bad deal, right? Well, what he's referring to is every one of these pictures, all right, if you go down it, if you kind of go down, fire comes from their mouth. Um, Verse number six, they can shut the sky so that there's no rain that falls. Uh, That would be a great thing to be able to do. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood. To strike the earth with plagues as often as they desire. Really, what, what's being pictured here actually has its roots, its ground in history, right? What are, who are we talking about? Well, last week we went back and we said we're talking about what? Fire, Second Kings, Elijah. And what did he do? The prophets of Baal came and challenged God. And Elijah said, you want to challenge God? That's fine. Here's what's going to happen. He will send fire from the sky and consume this sacrifice to demonstrate to you that there is one and only one God. And that actually happened historically. Don't let anyone tell you it didn't. It did. All right. So who was Elijah? A witness. A testifier to God. Bold. Do you know what? There were kings that wanted to kill Elijah. King Ahab were king that ever ruled over Israel. Remember his wife Jezebel? Jezebel brought the worship of Baal into Israel and now here's Elijah who kills, wipes out the prophets of Baal. You know why? Because he's bold. He doesn't care about his life. I belong to God. And no matter what happens to me, I'm going to do God's will and God has commanded me to take these prophets out. I'm going to take them out. Right? So the second Close the heavens, 1 Kings 17. What did Elijah do? Elijah said in order to get the attention of Israel, here's what God is going to do. He's gonna shut the heavens up. It's not gonna rain. It's not gonna rain until God tells me and then I'll tell you and it'll rain. And a drought comes. And the people of Israel go, where's God? What's God doing? And Elijah says he's trying to get your attention because you're stubborn and you're acting like mules and you're disobeying him and he's going to break you. He, you're going to be thirsty. You're not only going to be thirsty, you can't find water. You can't grow food. Not until you bow down on your knees and cry out to him. Then he'll let it rain. See what Elijah is doing? It's what the witnesses do. Okay? He has the ability to strike the, ground, the, the water with blood and to strike the ground with plagues. Well, that happened in history, right? We go back to the Exodus and we've got Moses. And what is he doing? Now water will become blood. I'm the king, I'm Pharaoh, I will tell you that, you know, when when Israel can be set free. No, you're not the king. God is king. Okay? So in this last period of time, really all we're saying is that you have a God who owns it all, authorizes it all, who will allow his witnesses. The two, why are there two witnesses? Kind of there's Old Testament, New Testament, right? It's the word of God. This is what we bring to the world. And you and I bring this testimony, this witness to the world, and during this last period of time, what God is saying is, be bold like Elijah. All right? Stand before Pharaoh, the king, the government, the government of that time, the most powerful government on earth. Moses stood before and said, I demand that you let God's people go. Didn't fear it at all. Right? Stand before governments and kings in this world And do not fear, I am with you during this last period of time. And so John is being shown this. Why? Because it's saying to him, when things look really, really horrible, guess what? The testimony of God is continuing to go out. And you're reading this and you're like, yay, go God, zap them down, shut off the water. And then all of a sudden something happens. That's kind of confusing. Like, what? What happened here? And what happens is, did you notice this? Verse number seven says, and when they had finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, right, we've seen this before. Who is the beast? It's an angel. It's Lucifer. Technically means the one of light, the angel of light. The angel of light rises up and it says he will make war on them And here's the part that a lot of people get confused about. He will conquer them and kill them. What does that mean? It means that in this last period of time, when God says, okay, now I'm finished with my testimony, I'm ready to blow the last trumpet, as we're right at the end, it will probably look on planet Earth as though what? The gospel has been killed. Is there ever a time in history that you, you can think of where on planet Earth it looks like the gospel has been killed? Absolutely, okay? So I go back in my mind, I, I remember studying this when I was a kid, to the, the uprising and reign of, of Stalin um, in Russia. And remember that when they took, when they took power, in Russia they the first thing that they did is they went out and they they killed I mean literally killed Christian pastors and Christian teachers and Christian missionaries they killed them and not only did they kill them but it was their desire to make a to make a statement to the citizens of Russia that we we are a society that is is apart from some foolish idea of God we depend not upon some God, but upon the the commun- communion of men to provide for our society, and we will not have this false testimony of God in our streets. And for a long period of time in Russian history, if you were if you were looking at what was going on, you would say, "Well, it looks like it looks to me like they've closed all these Christian churches. They killed the people who." who are in them, they will not allow you to come in as an evangelist. You couldn't. Not, not during the, the Stalin-Lenin period. You couldn't say, hey, I'm an, yeah, I'm an evangelist to Russia. You could go be that, but if you, you say that, I, they'll kill you. Right? So what does it look like? You would say, it looks dead. And you know what? The, the Russian government, the Russian people are like, yes, it's dead. Same thing in China. Okay? For a long period of time in China. Guess what happened to the church? Persecuted. Pushed underground, right? So Christians would look at it and they'd say, man, you know what? You can't, you can't, you can't really bring Christianity into China. It's one of the things I'm proud of. The, the, the Lutheran Church, the Missouri Synod. And when I say proud, I don't mean like pat yourself on the back. But I'm, just, I'm thankful that God used... You know, he uses each church body in a different way. I, I think that's true. But he used he used this little thing called, how many of you have ever heard of this? The Lutheran Hour? Yeah. My my old roommate from college is now the Lutheran Hour speaker. Shocks me. But he is. <laughs> He's doing a good job. But the Lutheran Hour, back in his day, they decided, you know what we can do is we can we can raise up some money and we can send evangelists to China and uh, the Chinese government was very interested in something that the the Lutherans did well schools and so the way they did it is the Lutheran hour said we're going to penetrate China by actually creating schools that teach Chinese kids English and the Chinese government said, well, if we're going to allow some American influence to come in here, we think that would have a positive effect upon our kids. We want them to learn English. And so if this church has a, the history of, of doing that, we'll let them come in. But you dare not come in here and evangelize our kids. You know what the Lutherans said? We respect that. That's exactly what we'll do. We will not, We will not break any of your laws. And they didn't. And because of that, they're respected to this day in China. And what the evangelist teachers would do is teach kids, just straight up teach them. And then if a kid comes to the teacher and says, I would like to know what is that symbol that you're wearing? The teacher had the right under the government to say, it's a cross. Would you like to hear the story of the cross? And evangelism began to take place. On the surface, it looked like what? Christianity is dead The reality of it is Christianity, both in Russia and China during periods of history where it looked dead, guess what? was never dead, always alive. And that's kind of what I want you to see here is there's this moment at the very end when it will look like on planet Earth broadly, not just regionally, but broadly, like Christianity is dead. It never will be, but it will look like it. Now, I want to show you true hatred because it's, it shows up here. Take a look at these next words. Verse number 8 says, Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Okay? Let's take that apart because... Was Jesus Christ crucified in either Sodom or Egypt? No. He's crucified in Egypt. So why does he say it this way? Okay. So the bodies of these witnesses are made to lie in the streets. Let's start right there. What's the aim of that? What's the desire here? When I kill you and I let your body lie there for three and a half days, I'm trying to make a statement, right? I'm trying to say anybody who follows that, person that these people proclaim this is what's going to happen to you okay make no mistake about it lucifer and all of his fallen angels we call them demons they don't just kind of dislike christianity they hate jesus christ hate him and and those who are apart from faith all right may kind of say well christians you know i mean there's a hatred inside of people for christianity I want you to lie dead in those streets, okay? So what kind of streets? Streets of Sodom. Tells you a little bit about that last period of time. You can see it already now. You can see it today. Sodom is a place where what? In a very open way, you, God, can not tell us how to live. We're gonna live the way we wanna live, okay? So when I'm reading the Grand Island newspaper, and uh, it's about, what, two, three months ago. And here's some guy in Lincoln, and he says, I want to bring some strip club into this town, right? And everybody's like, well, no, you can't bring the strip club in. Where are you going to put it? There's no land. You know, we've got it zoned this way. And then about two weeks ago, I read in the paper, and I'm like, well, there are lawyers now coming to town. He says, well, we're going to change the zoning. We're going to fix it because we've got to bring this stuff in here. How dare you people tell us how to live? Um, Yeah, I read that stuff and I'm like, well this is Grand Island, Nebraska. I mean that's that's happening here. And nothing compared to what's happening globally, right? (coughs) So (coughs) in Lincoln, last week, (coughs) they did a sting. It was a national sting and their goal was to, to, to put into jail people that are doing sex trafficking. So they, I think they put something, I forget how many they they caught in Lincoln and and put them in prison. The guy on television said, you know what, these businesses run 24 hours a day and they're highly profitable and yes, they are right here. How dare you tell us how we can live. In the last period of time, you can just lie dead in the streets while we do what we want to do. That's the picture that's being given here. We will be our own gods. We will determine what is right and what is wrong. Sodom, is known most for what? It's homosexuality. It's flagrant homosexuality. How dare you, God? You don't tell us how to live. We will tell you how we're going to live. Why dead in the streets? You have no control over us. Hatred for the things of Christianity, of Jesus Christ, okay? Um, That's Sodom. Egypt, what is Egypt? Egypt is the place where what? Where God's people were placed into slavery, exile. It represents that long period of time during which what? You're wondering, where is God? And God is at work in the midst of even that period of time. So in Egypt, to say the bodies lie dead in the street is to say, well, they lay dead in exile. Where you're wondering, where are you, God? Now, was Jesus Christ crucified in Egypt? No, yes. No, not technically, <clears throat> but symbolically, yes. Why? He comes into the earth, right? God becomes a human being. He is what, does the Gospel of John say? And the light shone into the darkness, and the darkness did not receive the light. He comes into the own, his own world, the world that he made, and he is treated as what? An exile and a stranger. And it's in this world his Egypt, that he has crucified and killed. And so all that the writer is trying to do is to paint this picture for us is that in these last times, for that last period of time, it will look like Christianity is being shut down and shut up. And not only that, but you will see the hatred of the world rise up in a way that is beyond what we see today. Notice verse 9. This is a section of the Bible that I like to call The anti-Christmas section. Okay, If you're like me, I love Christmas time. I like it. This is the anti-Christmas. Take a look at what it says. It's kind of scary. It says, for three and a half days, that's that same period of time, that's that half time, some of the peoples and the tribes and the languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to allow them to be placed in a tomb. Okay? Even Jesus, when he died, his enemies allowed his body to be placed in a tomb. In the end, oh no, we're going to make a flagrant example of Christianity. We want you lying dead in the streets. That's hatred. Verse 10, those who dwell on earth, now this is where it gets scary. Tell me if this doesn't sound like Christmas. Those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them And make merry and exchange presents. Because the two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Sound a little bit like Christmas? We will make merry and exchange presents with one another. Because that thing is dead. This is not a one-to-one correlation, but it's it's always interested me that, you know, when I grew up, that the world that I started growing up in, wherever you went at Christmas time, everyone would say, what? Merry Christmas, right? I can still remember, I mean, vividly, because my, my dad was a wild dude. So when he would read the paper and find something he didn't like, I would always know it. I mean, I would. And I still remember my dad at the at the kitchen table saying, my God, those atheists. And what he was upset about was it was one of the first times on American soil that under the direction of a new organization created by a lady named Madeline Marie O'Hare to advance an atheistic agenda, a lawsuit had been filed requiring the removal of a nativity scene from the park. It's the first time on American soil that that took place and my dad was reading this in the paper and i mean i i do i hear his voice my god that those atheists what are they doing and as a kid you know you don't i would always think something's wrong with my dad he's really weird but i would sit down i'd be like okay what what are you reading in the paper and he tells me you know well they're going to take this nativity scene and they got to get it out of the park because and, and everything in you said well no, no 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 this is america we say Merry Christmas. We believe in Jesus Christ. You know what? This is his time. They're not going to make him take that nativity scene out of that park. Right? Today, get those Ten Commandments out of our courthouse. Get those nativity scenes out of our way. Merry Christmas has kind of become kind of almost like a battle cry now. Right? And uh, you, you still have people out there in the retail world don't you dare use that name christ in any way happy holidays i call them happy hollow days because they've just been stripped of their meaning and it's the way of the world is we are going to take god jesus all of your stuff get it out of our world and we are now in control and you are dead and we're happy about it exchange presence with one another because we finally shut that voice of God up. And that's the picture that's being presented to John is, <clears throat> John, during this very last time, I want to give you some encouragement. God is fully in control. And you know, you're like, if you're John, you're like, yes, I'm in, God's in control. He's, he's like Elijah, shutting the heavens up. And then, bam, dead. And you say, but wait a minute. I thought you said you were in control. And God says, oh, yes, I am. Even during that time, when everything looks dead on earth, I am absolutely working through the witness of my word. Make no mistake about it. And so what happens is this beautiful moment. Here it comes. Verse number 11, it says, but after three and a half days. Now, notice the word after there. The word after there goes with, go back to verse number seven, the word finished. Those two words go together. After they finished their testimony. In other words, God said, I, I'm making sure that my testimony is heard up to this point in time. Okay, now it can look like they're dead in the streets. Same thing here after the three and a half days. So where is it taking us to? It's taking us right to the very end. After three and a half days, a breath of God enters into them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell upon those who saw them god raises up his witness in that last that last moment we're now ready just about ready to hear the seventh trumpet blow because where this is taking us to john i'm taking you now to that last moment in history when i will return And guess what will happen at the return of Jesus Christ? Great fear will fall upon the inhabitants of this earth because now their knees must bow to the one who they have hated for their entire lives. It says, verse number 12, they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up into heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them, okay? This is this is really kind of interesting to me because we're, we'll come back to this, but this really this really is descriptive of what um, I would call, in an appropriate way, the rapture. Okay. So when you study the Revelation, quite often you'll get you'll get this word rapture used. An inappropriate understanding of the rapture is is an understanding that says. Prior to that last period of time, God will whoosh, suck all of his people off the earth so that they don't have to experience any of this. No, not true. The reality is that all through this period of time and through that period that's called the a time, there will be what? His witnesses. That's who the two witnesses are. That's us. Filled with the Spirit, boldly going out. You're not sucked up off of the earth. Okay? So what is a rapture? Properly understood, a rapture is that moment in time when that last trumpet blows, where those who are followers of Jesus Christ, along with those whose bodies are dead, right, are resurrected, are going to join Jesus Christ in the air. But not those who are apart from faith, okay? So when these witnesses hear a voice, say, come up here, and they go up in the clouds, where they're pointing us to is to this little picture that Paul gives us in First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're at the very end. Guess what happens? The resurrection happens. Those who are alive at that period of time are taken up in a cloud in heaven. Right? Now it says heaven. Uranos, atmosphere. You're above the earth. Right? Those who are dead their bodies are reunited with their souls, they are also caught up into the air to join those, okay? Now, those who do not trust and believe in Jesus Christ, that's, that's the rapture, <laughs> we're raptured up. Those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ, guess what they get to experience? Total annihilation. Because they're on planet Earth when, as the old prophets used to say, God takes the earth and rolls it up like a scroll and burns it instantly like that. All of it destroyed. You are in the air. You are watching all of this happen. And it's at that point that a new earth is created and Revelation 21 tells us those caught up in the air now come onto that new earth with Jesus to dwell forever. So it's just a little snapshot in time. It's why these witnesses, those who have trusted in Jesus, hear the voice. Come up here. That's the rapture. Properly understood. We'll come back to that. But uh, that's the picture that I want you to, to see. So says, so they went up into heaven in a cloud. Their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified. Don't get, don't get fooled by this. And gave glory to the God in heaven. The seventh, second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. So at that moment, when we're being brought up, the earthquakes. Interesting, because when you look historically... At these major movements in history, both Old Testament and New Testament, earthquakes play a pretty important role, right? So when the Ten Commandments are given and rejected by the people of Israel, what happens? Earthquake kills these people, all right? I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but at Jesus' death, guess what happens? Earthquake, people are killed. At the resurrection, Matthew 28, guess what happens? Earthquake the earth shakes. Guess what? The writer of Hebrews tells us. At the very end, earthquake, the earth shakes. And people die. How many people die? Well, so this is a tenth of the earth. Why? It's symbolic, right? One tenth. Ten is who? Yahweh. It's His perfect number. All right? So, <clears throat> so what you have is you have, you have uh, people who just die immediately, just prior to the trumpet blowing, through the shaking Of the earth 7,000 people it's not it's not a a uh, uh, it's it's meant to be a symbolic number it's not a literal number 7,000 why 7 Jesus's number times 10 times 10 times 10 Yahweh and Jesus right just put the two together and what you have is you have this picture of God who in a perfect way through Jesus Christ is going to bring everything to a conclusion that's the picture that's being given. The second woe is done. Remember when we started this? There are three woes that will take place at the very end. First woe takes place. Now we get the break. Now the second woe is over. We're ready for the third woe. Third woe is, guess what? The blowing of the trumpet. It is the end. And that's where we'll pick up verse 15 next week. I think we'll come back around a couple of these scriptures because I want you to see them. They add depth to what we're talking about. Let's pray.